the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. Exhausting, frustrating morning. I think sometimes God allows us to have those kinds of mornings to see if we are mastered by our feelings or led by our faith. I think sometimes God wants to see that we can push through all the frustrations and praise Him anyway. Push through all the frustrations and exalt His name anyway. Can you do that? Or are you constantly led by how you feel? Feelings are sand. They're shifting. They're moving. They're sporadic. If you're led by your feelings, you're not going to do well in relationships. You're not going to do well in ministry. You're not going to do well in your career. We have to have something leading us that is much deeper than our feelings. Amen? So that's where I'm at this morning as well. Had a little frustrating morning, but I am glad that we walk by faith and not by sight. We're going to start reading at verse 17. When you have it, if you want to, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read all the way to verse 33, so take a deep breath. I believe we're going to be able to get through it, and then we'll pray, and you can be seated. 1 Samuel chapter 17, when you have it, say amen. Amen. I'm going to start reading at verse 17, and it says, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto their captain of their thousand, and look at how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Goth, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that is come up shortly to defy Israel? Is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men and that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down here hither? Why camest thou down hither? Sometimes the King James Version is hard to read. And with 
whom thou hast left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you help me to minister this message, tailor it, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this message as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, all the acknowledgement, all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we're going to continue the sermon series that we began last week entitled Persistence. Specifically, I want to preach for a few minutes today from the subject Pointless Persistence. It's not that persistence is pointless. It's that when what you're doing starts to feel pointless, persistence becomes more important. As I told you last week, the definition of persistence is a continuance in a course of action in spite of failure, adversity, hardship, difficulty, or setback. One thing that I want you to keep in mind throughout this entire sermon series is that you don't need persistence when things are happening quickly. You don't need persistence when things are coming together. You don't need persistence when things are falling into place. You don't need persistence when things are going according to plan. You don't need persistence when things are aligning with your expectation. You need persistence when it feels like you've hit a wall. You need persistence when it feels like you're stuck and unable to move forward. You need persistence when it feels like your prayer is not being answered. Your petition is not being heard. You need persistence when it doesn't feel like your answer is coming. When it doesn't feel like your miracle is going to happen. You need persistence when things are not working out and things are not coming together. It's when what you're doing starts to feel like it's not worth doing that persistence becomes important. When it starts to feel like it's not worth praying. When it starts to feel like it's not worth studying. When it starts to feel like it's not worth worshiping. When it starts to feel like it's not worth coming to church. It's when what you're doing starts to feel like it's not worth doing that persistence becomes important. Last week, I told you that Solomon came to a dark place in his life in which he felt like all of his efforts were pointless and in despair, he said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. But Solomon wasn't the only one to come to that dark place. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 49, 4, but my work seems so Useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. It's in moments like that that persistence becomes 
important. Have you ever experienced a moment like that where it seemed like all of your efforts, all of your hard work was useless? That you had spent your time, your strength, your energy for nothing and to no purpose. If Solomon came to that place, if Isaiah came to that place, then you're going to have moments in your walk with Christ where it all seems futile, where it all seems meaningless. Where you question why you're continuing, why you're still reaching, why you're still striving. It's in those moments that persistence becomes essential. And what we're going to see today is that David had several moments where what he was doing felt pointless, but he was persistent enough to push through those moments. And God rewarded him with the greatest opportunity of his life. What we're going to see today is that David's pointless Moments positioned him to fulfill the purpose that God had placed upon his life. So we're going to break this down. Look at verse 17. I'm reading this out of the NLT. It says, One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against Goliath. In this verse, Jesse, David's father, calls for him. And one thing that you need to know is that in the chapter before this one, in chapter 16, the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house and told him, one of your sons is going to be anointed as the next king of Israel. Call for all of your sons Samuel told Jesse, and Jesse calls for all of his sons except for David. Jesse either forgot all about David or intentionally excluded him. But whatever the case, Jesse called for all of his sons except for David. That wound is still fresh in David's heart when in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Jesse calls for David. Can you imagine what David must have been thinking as he walked toward the house? You didn't call for me when there was an opportunity. You didn't call for me when they were anointing the next king of Israel. You didn't call for me when there was a prestigious position available. But you call for me now. You call for me now that something small needs to be done. You, you call for me now to do something trivial. Jesse tells David to travel four miles from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah in order to take his brother's lunch. Can you imagine what must have been going through David's mind as he walked those four miles? He must have felt like he was doing something that was a waste of his time and talents. He must have felt like he was doing something that was far beneath someone who had just been anointed as the next king of Israel. Isn't it just like God to show us something big and ask us to do something small? Sometimes God will show you this massive vision and then he'll ask you to do something that you view as insignificant. I'm sure that as David walked these four miles, he must have felt like everyone around him 
was doing something important with their lives while he was stuck delivering lunch. One reason that we come to these places of futility where it feels like what we're doing is pointless is because we often view it as insignificant. Have you ever been doing something that you viewed as a small thing and after a while it just started to feel pointless? You were volunteering, helping out, contributing, and after a while it just started to feel like you weren't making a difference. You weren't having an impact. It started to feel like what you were doing really didn't matter that much. If you've ever been there, I want you to know today that every contribution counts. I want you to know that every sacrifice you make for the kingdom of God is significant. Do you believe that? No, you don't. Two of, I'm going to give you two reasons why you should believe it. Every sacrifice you make for the kingdom of God is significant. And the first reason you should believe that is because what you're doing, what you're doing is significant because it reveals what kind of heart you really have. What you're doing is significant because a big heart is revealed in a willingness to do what seems small. Jesus had a big heart, and we've seen his big heart every time he cared for lepers, a population of people that were intentionally excluded, that no one else cared about and no one else had time for. We see Jesus' big heart every time he stops everything that he's doing, detaches himself from the important people and stoops down in the dirt in order to minister to children. We see how big of a heart Jesus had in his willingness to take off his robe of righteousness and stoop down in the dirt and wash the feet of the disciples, including Judas. Jesus most likely washed Judas' feet moments before Judas would betray him. A big heart is revealed in a willingness to do what seems small. Paul had a big heart and it was revealed in his willingness to collect wood for the fire in Acts chapter 28. Paul was surrounded by over 260 people, any of which he could have ordered to collect wood for the fire and they would have. But Paul doesn't hand out directions and instructions. He takes the initiative to do what seemed small. And in doing what seemed small, it showed what kind of heart he really has. David had a big heart and we see it in that even though he had been anointed as the next king of Israel, he submitted to the authority of his father and delivered bread and cheese to his brothers. You know the people that are going to do something big for the kingdom of God are those that are willing to do something small right now. It's those that are willing to sweep and mop and vacuum. Those that are willing to take the call at 3 a.m. Those that are willing to go to the nursing home and the hospitals. Those that are willing to reach out to those that have been excluded and set to the side. A big heart is revealed in a willingness to do what seems small. Anyone who ever did anything big for the kingdom of God had to abandon their pride and arrogance and be willing to do whatever needed to be done regardless of whether it was noticed or not. David had a big heart and it showed in our text. What you're doing is significant even if you think it's small because it shows what kind of heart you really have. The second reason why what you're doing is important and significant is because God remembers and he'll reward you for it. 
God remembers. God remembers everything you do and He will reward you for everything you do. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. I love this. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. God has the memory of an elephant. He don't forget. He don't forget the meal you paid for. He don't forget this time you stopped and helped that woman on the side of the road. He don't forget the people you visited in the hospital. He don't forget the time you paid that mortgage. He don't forget the time you stepped out on faith and, in, and intervened in someone's life. He doesn't forget none of it. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have shewed toward His name and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. God remembers what you do even if it seems small to you. He remembers what you do even if other people don't notice or recognize you for it. He remembers what you do even when you forget that you did it. God remembers every sacrifice, every gift, every act of love. God remembers. Let me give you an illustration. At this point, we don't have a church van. We've not had a church van for more than a year and a half. So for the last year or more, Kathy has used her own car to pick people up on Sunday mornings when they need a ride to church. And God remembers every time she's done that. God remembers every minute she got up early. God remembers every mile she put on her car. God remembers every sacrifice that she's made. And one day, God's going to move for her in a very special way. And she may not realize it. And the people around her may not realize it, but it'll be because she went and picked up people for church. See, sometimes we're being blessed for things that we forgot about. We're being blessed for things that we thought was small. We're being blessed for things that we didn't really notice or acknowledge. God remembers everything that we do, and He's going to find a way to reward us for it. Sometimes it's little by little, sometimes it's all at once, but you're going to be rewarded for it. God remembers every single thing you do for His people or for His kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. It says, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. What's that mean? What that verse is essentially saying is you could do something that seems insignificant for someone that's easily overlooked in a name that holds no power and you would still be rewarded for it. Read that again. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones, give a, cold, a cup of cold water to a child in the name of a disciple, shall in no wise lose their reward. What's Jesus saying? He's saying you could do something that seems insignificant for someone that's easily overlooked in a name that holds no power and you would still be rewarded for it. So how much more will you be blessed if you do anything for anyone in the name of Jesus? God remembers what you do and he will reward you for what you do. What you're doing is significant because God is taking note of it and he's going to reward you for all of it. Some of you are where David was in verse 17. You're taking bread and cheese to your brothers. You're doing something that you don't think is important and you don't think anybody else thinks it's important. You're doing something that feels like a waste of your true gifts and talents. 
And yet if you can be persistent enough to be faithful over what seems small, God is going to use that small thing to usher you into the greatest opportunity of your life. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but you've been real down on yourself and you feel like you're not going anywhere, you're not accomplishing anything, you're not achieving anything. And God told me to tell you to keep doing what feels pointless because those small things are going to make a big difference in your life. And today it's just bread and cheese, but tomorrow it's defeating Goliath. And after that, it's the throne of Israel. So sometimes what we're doing feels pointless because we view it as insignificant. Number two, sometimes what we're doing feels pointless because other people don't appreciate it. Look at what happens to David after he reaches the valley of Elah. I love this. Verse 28, it says, But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? In my mind, I picture David's brother asking him that question. What are you doing around here anyway? While he's eating the food that David just delivered. In my mind, I picture Eliab standing there with crumbs in his beard, eating a Ritz cracker with cheese spread that David had just brought, demanding to know, what are you doing here? His brothers didn't even recognize, let alone appreciate what he had done for them. You know, in this moment, David could have been offended. He could have been filled with rage and anger. He could have threw his hands up in the air. He could have walked back to the carriage, loaded everything up, and made the track back to Bethlehem. He could have been offended and walked away. But if he'd have been offended and walked away, he'd have missed out on the opportunity that God was ushering him into. I wonder how many opportunities we've walked away from because someone hurt us with their words or their actions. I wonder how many times we were on the verge of a blessing or a promotion or a breakthrough and then someone offended us and we walked away from what God was getting ready to do in our lives. One thing that you need to keep in mind is that anytime God is about to move, the enemy will always try to offend you because the enemy knows that offense will keep you from what God has in store for you. The perfect illustration of that is the life and story of Naaman. Naaman was a leper. He traveled from Syria to Israel in order to be healed. He shows up at the prophet's house and the prophet sends out a messenger to greet him. The messenger tells Naaman, if you want to be healed, dip in the Jordan River seven times. But the Bible says Naaman was offended. He was offended because the prophet didn't come and talk to him directly. He was offended because he didn't get the attention he deserved. He was offended because he didn't get recognized because his name didn't get called. He was offended, shaking his head, saying they must not know who I am. They must not know the prestigious position I hold. Ain't nobody can treat me like this. Ain't nobody can talk to me like this. And David and Naaman turned around and began to walk back towards Syria. Offense was taking Naaman away from his healing, away from his breakthrough, away from his answer. And if it had not been for a good friend that told Naaman, you're acting crazy, go down to the river and dip seven times, Naaman would have completely missed out on what God had in store for him. The Bible says God resists the proud. So if you can be offended out of what God has prepared for you, then you'll never receive it. Because the only way we can get to God is if we humble ourselves. 
The only way that we can get to God is if we leave our pride and our arrogance behind. David could have been offended, but if he would have been offended, his story would have ended completely different. This is a pivotal moment in David's life, and he had every right to be mad. I would have been mad. But if he would have allowed his offense to cause him to walk away, he would have missed out on everything God had planned for him. David felt like what he was doing was pointless because others didn't appreciate it. Sometimes our efforts seem pointless because others don't appreciate them. They don't appreciate the time we spent or the prayers we prayed or the gifts we gave. They absolutely refuse to acknowledge that you did anything for them at all. And, and in their mind, those things never happened. And if they did happen, it, it wasn't that you were doing something for them. It's that you were repaying a debt. It's not that you were helping them. It's that you owed that to them. You're going to do things for people that don't appreciate it. You're going to. But it's in those moments that you have to remember Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You're going to do things for people who don't notice it, who don't recognize it, who don't acknowledge it, but don't let that stop you from doing it. Be persistent enough to do what others don't notice because you realize it brings honor to the Lord who you're doing it for to begin with. David's brothers didn't even care that he did something for them. But he was persistent enough not to be offended, to stay on the path that he was on and he stepped into the greatest opportunity of his life. Number three, sometimes what we're doing feels pointless because other people don't think we're really capable of doing what we're trying to do. You know, David announced, I'll, I'll go fight Goliath. And there was no one in his surroundings that thought he could do it. To his dad, David was just the youngest son. To his brothers, he was just a pest. To onlookers, he was just a shepherd boy. To Saul, he was just an inexperienced teenager. David was overlooked by everyone around him, and yet he was handpicked by God. I want you to know that it's nice to have people's support, but you don't have to have people's support to do what God has called you to do. It's nice to have somebody in your corner, but if you've got God, you can accomplish everything that you're meant to accomplish. You can achieve everything that you are meant to achieve. Everyone thought they knew what David was capable of. Everyone. Everyone in his surroundings thought they knew his worth, his value, his talent what he could accomplish, what he could achieve, what he could make of himself. When David says he'll fight Goliath, Saul calls for him. And in verse 33, Saul said to David, Thou art not able. You can't do this. You can't start your own business. You can't start your own ministry. You can't go back to school. You can't get that position. You can't be a preacher. You can't accomplish that. You can't start your own homeless shelter. You can't start your own soup kitchen. 
It's never going to work. It's never going to happen. People will constantly try to devalue you. But this is what you have to remember. You have to remember that people don't get to assign your value. They don't get to decide what I'm capable of, what I can accomplish, and what I can achieve. I've not done this illustration in a long time, but the Lord brought it back to me this morning. I want to do it for you. I got in my hand a crisp $1 bill. It's not mine, it's Sean's, so he'll need that back at the end of service. But it's, it's $1, and it is worth $1. And if I wad it up, it's worth $1. And if I stomp on it, it's worth $1. And if I cuss it out, it's worth $1. And if I throw it away, it's worth $1. And if I call it names, it's worth $1. And if I abuse it, it's worth $1. There is nothing that I can do to this dollar bill to change its inherent value. You know why? Because I didn't create it. Now, if the American government said that it's no longer worth a dollar, it wouldn't be worth a dollar anymore. But I don't have the power or the authority to determine its value because I didn't create it. The same thing is true in your life. No one around you has the authority to determine your value because they are not your creator. So if they abuse you, if they mistreat you, if they misuse you, it does not diminish your value because they don't have that much authority in your life. David knew this. David knew that even though everyone was trying to assign his value and determine what he could do and what he couldn't do, he knew that only the creator had that much authority in his life. So Saul says, you're not able. Saul says David's not able to fight Goliath because Goliath has been a soldier longer than David has been alive. Saul says David can't fight Goliath because he's too young because he's too weak, because he's too inexperienced. The enemy will always give you a thousand excuses as to why you can't do what God's calling you to do. You're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. There will always be excuses saying you shouldn't, you can't, and you won't. But what you have to remember is that it's not just you trying to do this. It's not just you being ambitious. It's not just you working toward a goal. This is not just you doing it. It's God doing it through you. And with God, all things are possible. Don't let other people set limits on what God can do through your life. You know what? I'm not that talented. And I don't look at myself like I'm that gifted. And I don't feel like I'm even that intelligent. And I feel like I have to work really hard to be as good of a preacher that I am. I even wrote down one time, I said, Lord, I feel like I have to exhaust myself, try to be a mediocre preacher, and, and it's, it's wearing me out. But you know what I realized? I realized a long time ago that my weakness doesn't count against me. My weakness gives God a stage to show his strength. 
Find somebody in the Bible that didn't have some kind of deficiency. Moses stuttered. David had a lust problem. Jonah was rebellious time and time again. God didn't choose the most likely. He wretched back and chose those that nobody else would have picked. Those that didn't seem that to have what they needed to have. Those that weren't really that qualified. Some of you are looking at yourself and say, I can't because of this and I won't because of this. But that's exactly why you will because God takes your weakness and shows his strength. David shouldn't have fought Goliath. He shouldn't have. In, in every natural indication, this was going to be a massacre by Goliath. But David was persistent. And even though people said, you can't do this, and you won't accomplish this, and you won't achieve, he knew that God was in him. He knew that greater was he that is in him than he that was in the world. And David defeated Goliath and set off a chain of events that led to him becoming the king of Israel. So what I want you to see in this text as I wrap this up, what I want you to see in this text is that Time and time again, David felt like what he was doing was useless and meaningless and pointless. But God had a purpose for what felt pointless in David's life. And those pointless moments ultimately positioned him for what God had prepared for him. So I know some of you are there right now. You feel like what you're doing is meaningless and worthless and useless and pointless. You view it as small. Nobody really appreciates it. Nobody thinks you can do it. Nobody thinks you're capable. But God is going to take those pointless moments and position you for what he has prepared for you to do. Do you believe that? Come on up to the music. So, if you're here today and you're lost, you don't need persistence. You need to surrender. You don't need to keep going Keep working at it. Keep trying. You need to surrender. Persistence does not help you if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have the, the strength and persistence you even need to overcome the obstacles in front of you. No matter what you're trying to do, you can't do it without the Lord. David would have been defeated David would have been a failure had he not been depending on the Lord. The reason that he decided to confront Goliath was because Goliath was defying the Lord. It wasn't a personal vendetta. David knew that Goliath was speaking against God and that as long as he was fighting for God, that David could not be defeated. So if you're here today, the only way you're going to overcome Whatever obstacle is in front of you, whatever barrier is in front of you, whatever problem is in front of you, is if you have God in you. And so the only way you're going to have God in you is if you come to this altar and confess your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you're lost, I want you to come. I want you to come because you can't slay the giant standing in front of you unless Jesus Christ is in you. 
You can't slay the giant of addiction, the giant of sin. You can't slay the giant of bondage unless God is in you. So would you come? Would you stop trying to fight this battle yourself and come? Stop trying to make resolutions and take steps and make plans. Just come. Surrender. Realize that you can't do it in yourself, that you're not enough in yourself. And let Jesus begin to lead you into everything that he has in store. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and leave us a rating and review while you're there. For more information, please visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash redemptionky.